It is the start of my absolute favorite season of the year. It is starting to get a little colder. It is starting to get a little darker also. And this just the crisp chill in the air. It's like someone has cast a magical spell over the whole world. I love fall. It's also when my kids go back to school, which might have something to do with it. I, God, you know, I love them so much. I love them so much. Also, school is, uh, it's important for everyone's sanity. So for today's episode, we are talking about going back to school, including older kids going back to their colleges. Our Places editors, Michelle Cassidy and Jonathan Carey, bring you two stories about two universities with very unusual rites of passages. One has a vending machine unlike any other, and the other has a very strange tradition that goes back decades. Michelle, take it away. Walking through the campus of Gallaudet University, a school for the deaf and hard of hearing in Northeast Washington, D.C., you might notice some small stone slabs embedded in the grass. If you look closely, they bear inscriptions. Some simply have years, 1923 or the class of 1969. Some of them have phrases carved into the surface. Long live the spirit of 76, or we pave the road to success. Some of them bear names. There's Jane and Odysseus and Minnie, and it's these ones that start to make it clear what you're actually looking at. They're gravestones. But not for people, for rats. For more than a hundred years, the first-year students at Gallaudet University have participated in an unusual, somewhat macabre tradition called the rat funeral. Okay, let's back up a little bit. When Gallaudet first started offering college classes back in the 1860s, the school had a one-year preparatory program meant to get students ready for a college education. Students in this program became known as rats. The nickname was partially a play on words, since rat does appear in the middle of the word prepare rat-tory. But it was also the sort of gentle teasing that you see in lots of school environments. The youngest students are seen as sort of lowly creatures who lurk around and stick their nose into things. Over time, a tradition emerged. At the beginning of the school year, the prep students would adopt real rats, a male and a female. They cared for these rats and hid them from administrators. At the end of the year, the class rats were euthanized and buried on campus in an elaborate funeral ceremony. As the story goes, this was meant to symbolize the end of the students' time as rats and signal their chance to move on to bigger and better things. The oldest grave that I could find on campus is from 1917. Nobody knows exactly how this tradition came about or when, but it might have grown out of another tradition that was popular in the 1800s called the cremation of mechanics. It went a little something like this. Many colleges, including Gallaudet, required students to pass a series of difficult math classes in order to graduate. 
Once the last of these were complete, students would hold a mock funeral, complete with ushers and pallbearers and a reading of last rites. The whole thing ended with the cremation of an effigy, representing mathematics. The rat funeral is a similarly elaborate tradition that the prep students used as a way to mark the end of one life stage and the beginning of another. Even after Gallaudet did away with the preparatory program in the 90s, the tradition was then transferred to freshmen. In American Sign Language, the sign for rat, which you can make by crossing your index and middle fingers to make the sign for an R and brushing it lightly across your nose, sort of like a rodent's whiskers, is sometimes used as a slang sign for freshmen. Over time, the details of this tradition have changed a little bit. First and foremost, real rats have not been used in the ceremony since the 80s. These days, students are burying rubber or stuffed rats. But the funeral is still a solemn occasion. The rats, again, now fake, are dressed and placed into tiny coffins. Participating students dressed in black form a funeral procession that crosses campus and ends at the chosen gravesite. After offering eulogies and prayers, the participants lower the coffin into a freshly dug grave along with flowers and mementos from their first year. The funeral ends with the placing of an inscribed marker on top of the grave. Let's be real for a second. This is kind of weird. And... It might seem a little out of step for some of our cultural norms, especially the rat part. I'm just glad that they're not burying real rats anymore. But I went to Gallaudet's campus to see for myself, and I have to say it's surprisingly moving. The graves aren't all gathered together in a cemetery. They're sort of scattered throughout the lawn on the main campus. The sites aren't random. They do have to be pre-approved by the school. And I can't help but think that some of the spots might mean something to the students who picked them. And while some of the inscriptions are goofy, a few of them are surprisingly moving. On the Class of 1999 slab, there's a banner that reads, We are the fire that keeps on burning. The Class of 1994 says, Stone walls do not a prison make. The class of 1978 simply says, we've made it. I tried to guess at what went into the naming of the different rats. Some of them are pretty clear. There's Mickey and Minnie, Simba and Nala, Burger King and Dairy Queen. But some of them are connected to moments in the school's history, like the class of 1992's Spillman and Zinzer. It's a reference to the school's board chair and president who resigned after a week-long student protest demanding that the school elect a deaf president. While burying rats, real or fake, isn't something I plan to do anytime soon, it's a tradition that has become an indelible part of Gallaudet's student culture. May all those rats rest in peace. The next story takes place at an Ivy League school where there is a particular approach to cafeteria snacking that is unlike anywhere else. Jonathan has more. Take a few steps across any U.S. college, university, or campus, and it won't be long before you stumble into a vending machine. 
stocked with as many saturated fats and candies as one can desire. However, at Cornell University, a different kind of vending machine has become a popular choice among students. One that gets a healthy stock each fall. This is the Cornell Apple vending machine. Located inside the main library near the Department of Horticulture, the vending machine is built into a wall and has rotating shelves. It also has these mini refrigeration compartment thingies that hold the apples. I mean, it's actually kind of fancy. And for just $1, students can sink their teeth into a juicy, fresh collection of around nine different types of apples. Ranging from mouth-watering gala and shinzuka to sweet honeycrisp and Macintosh apples. And if you're lucky, you may even find more exotic apples, the likes of snapdragons or firecrackers, or even unnamed species such as NY-79507-72apple. But you will have to be quick, as these varieties tend to sell out pretty fast. All of the apples are bred, grown, and picked from Cornell's orchard less than a mile from the vending machine. The orchard has been around since 1910, covers 22 acres, and supports around 10 to 15 different research projects every year. Along with the apples, the orchard is also home to grapes, stone fruits, and berries. Apples start making their appearance in the machine around August and September. The machine remains stocked throughout the school year. And while it may seem novel, The Apple vending machine has a rich history at Cornell University that can be traced back to the 1950s. In an October 1954 copy of the Cornell Countryman magazine, there's a brief mention of this new contraption selling apples at Cornell. Quote, Even fruit vending has gone modern. The old wooden box which used to hold apples for sale on the honor system in the library of the plant and science has been replaced by this ultra-modern machine. End quote. The current machine maintains built-in refrigeration, and those individual compartment thingies actually hold one single apple. That way, if one apple spoils, it won't ruin the entire batch. You know the saying, right? And instead of a mechanism that drops the apples to the bottom of a slot, like you might see in a typical vending machine, this one allows purchasers to slide open the compartment door and retrieve a fresh, juicy apple. That way, the apples don't bruise. And the vending machine also acts as a teaching tool. On the side of the apple vending machine is information about the apples and the various varieties inside, and those also grown in the orchard. Another very cool fact about the vending machine is that the money used to buy apples gets funneled back to students. Proceeds help fund the Society of Horticulture, an organization of Cornell graduate students. This group is actually responsible for maintaining the orchards, picking the apples, and keeping the machine stocked with apples of their choosing. It is also one of the few places to buy Cornell orchard apples. And in a world of delivery services and packaged foods, this classic vending machine has stood the test of time, making it a yearly tradition for Cornell students to grab a bite of the apple.
Thank you to Michelle Cassidy and Jonathan Carey for these wonderful stories. They are just two examples of many stories found in Atlas Obscura. If you're curious to visit one of these places or learn more about others like them, you can visit atlasobscura.com. We have a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes... Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley. Baudelaire. Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is... Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by... Manolo Morales. And mixed by... Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time.